0: We've taken this term to study the little letter of Titus uh, in the New Testament, which only takes 15 minutes to read, but we're doing it in several weeks and going slowly and diving deep. And um, today we're going to be in Titus chapter 2, verses 11 to 15, so the end of Titus chapter 2. And um, if you think of what the island of Crete might look like, which is kind of its long, and it's got a spine of mountains down the middle... And so you kind of, you hit the beaches and then you go up into the mountains and then down the other side to beaches again. The book of Titus is a bit like that. So we're coming up now to the kind of the, the bit in the middle, the high point, the pinnacle of the letter, where he's really going to talk a lot about the grace of God. And over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at this wonderful idea of the grace of God. And um, so I'm going to read uh, from Titus chapter 2 and verse 11. For us to redeem to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good, these then are the things you should teach. encourage and rebuke with all authority don 't let anyone despise you and um, let 's just remember uh, titus 's story because I think it's really important that it's Titus uh, who is brought here to say these things to the church. He comes from Antioch, uh, which some historians called the sewer of the empire. It was a big, bad city, kind of a gangster, mafia-run city. And I said t- last week, I think Titus was probably a bit of a roadman. Uh, and I think, that, I think that's true. I think he's from a tough background, uh, from the street corners, and... Um, the grace of God has come to him, and it's kind of plucked him out and put him into a completely different world. I mean, now he's in Crete, which is, you know, far away, and he's been on a boat for the first time, and he's, he's kind of involved in starting churches. And, and so he's, he's kind of come out of this little space, which is probably where his dad was from, and his granddad was from, and his family was from. And the grace of God has broken him out of that and opened up a whole different world for him. Mm. And um, uh, you can imagine when the kind of the more established Christians with their sort of their prim ways saw someone like Titus walking in and they were like, oh man, what, you know, why is he wearing a tracksuit? Or whatever, do you know what I mean? It's just, and I think it's really interesting. The big battle in the early church was, oh, if people become Christians who are from different backgrounds, should they get circumcised? And we read in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 3, Paul takes Titus with him to Jerusalem to go and meet some of the apostles and some of the established church. And he says this, he says, but even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. And it's like, even though the guy's Greek, we're not going to circumcise him. In other words, the grace of God has saved this guy just as he is, who he is, with his story, his background, where he's come from. And he's not forced to become someone different or to become something else. He's not forced to be circ- uh, circumcised. I don't know what the, the the kind of equivalent would be for us. You know, we don't really walk around with scissors here, you know. Um, but it's like he's not been forced to become like everybody else. He's not been forced to look a certain way or behave a certain way or fit in, in a certain way. The... If God accepts me as I am and who I am and he loves me and forgives me and brings me into his family as I am, then I'm acceptable to God in this way. So I should be acceptable to you guys in this way. Right? I often say I'm the only fatter preacher in this church. Most of the preachers up here are very kind of fit looking. And I I just think i don't have to be thin to fit in with the other preachers here i'm representing all you larger people out there right <laughs> i'm part of the um I'm part of the prophetic resistance and <laughs> proud of it but you know God loves me as I am, you know <laughs> when we uh, when we started a church in Turkey uh some years ago, what we realized was nearly everyone in Turkey smokes or the people that we were serving, and um if we Tried to do a church service where we had some singing and then some preaching and stuff. People couldn't concentrate that long without a cigarette. So we built in a cigarette break in the middle of the service. So we would have like worship and stuff. And then everyone would go outside for a cigarette. And then come back in. And then we'd, as a preacher, I preferred it. Because then they were concentrating. They weren't just thinking about the nicotine hit, right? Um, and we had some visitors from America come. Uh, and they were like, you know, what are you doing? You're encouraging sinful behavior. You're encouraging people to you, we were trying to go look. If you can imagine where these guys have come from, from Muslim backgrounds, from far, far, far away from God, you know, and the journey they've been on, smoking is the least of our problems here. And, and so, a, an understanding of the grace of God helps a community to be, to, to, to focus on what's important and to not worry about the surface issues. A, a legalistic church, if you've ever been in one or even seen in one, people look kind of squashed and cowed under external, you know, everyone needs to behave like this or everyone needs to dress like this or everyone needs to look like this or function like this. And there's kind of a pressure and a community shame that comes on people. And people are like this. Whereas a grace-filled church, which is what we are trying to be, is, is it, it, it welcomes people. And it it allows people to say, Jesus loves me as I am, with my story, with my mess, with my complicatedness. And he doesn't judge me and neither can you, right? Just say to the person next to you, he doesn't judge me and neither can you. (laughs) And so you could think that what Crete needs with the background that these people are coming from, Uh, you know, these new believers in a really pagan place, you could think that what they need is really an enforcer, a policeman who's going to come and go, right, guys, now you're Christians. These are the rules. This is what you shouldn't do, and this is what you don't, you know. You could think that's what they need. And actually, Paul has sent an enforcer there, but it's Titus. He's a grace enforcer. And he's going to go, look, I've learned that God accepts me as I am, and even the apostles in Jerusalem Couldn't put pressure on me. And so you guys need that kind of resilience. And he's he's trying to enforce grace. Just know God has loved you. He's welcomed you. His grace is transforming you and changing you. And we're going to see how that works in a moment. But know that you can't let anybody force you again into a yoke of slavery. Amen? And so... We're going to see that grace teaches us to say no. That's what the verse says. And it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. But the first thing that grace teaches us to say no to is imposed conformity and being forced to be a certain way. And that is something that as a church we care a lot about. Does, does that make sense? Are you understanding me? And so the verse says this. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled and upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so when we step into the grace of God which has appeared, we step, friends, into a completely different story. You know, Titus, he stepped out of his... Story, his family's story, where he was from. And he stepped into something completely different. And, uh, and, and that's, that's the thing I really want us to get about when we step into the grace of God, the, the good news that's appeared with Jesus Christ. We're stepping out of something and we're stepping into something else. And it's incredibly exciting. It, it, if you've ever come across the story, The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe right, or read it to your kids. Um, it, in that story, the children, it's World War II, it's raining, it's gray and miserable, they're in England, you know, so like all the bad things you could imagine, and, um, and they step um, they step through this wardrobe into this completely different world, where animals talk, and where there's like nobility, and battles, and chivalry, and it's, and it's, it's like everything's possible. They step into this adventure. And so they step out of something and into something else where what wasn't possible before comes possible. And what wasn't normal becomes normal. And, and when we step, friends, into, into the grace of God, that's what we're doing. We're stepping out of a life that is mundane and routine. And it's this and this and this and rules to obey and a, a, a restrictive way of living. And we're stepping into a whole different world. I, I keep feeling like I want to sing that song from Aladdin, you know "Oh no, but I won't." And again, that's Titus' story. And friends, that's my story. that's your story, in terms of stepping into the grace of God. And, and with Titus and with us, what we see is you step into a different community, you get different horizons, and you live towards a different goal, a different prospect. So let's just look at those three things, a different community. Uh, you know, Titus, he, he stepped out of all his old sort of friends in Antioch. You can imagine, you know, on the street corners, all the guys living in a certain way. And now he's, he's got new friends. He's on an adventure with Paul and Timothy and some of these other guys. And now he's in Crete church. Party. And so he's he stepped into a different family. And... Um, You know, theologically we'd say you step out of the family of Adam that was prone to disobedience and sin and moving towards death. And we step out of Adam's family and we step into the family of Jesus Christ, which is about life and life to the full, which is about joy and peace and love. And and so we step out of one family that's moving towards death. It's like there's a train going off the cliff and we are rescued out of that train and put onto a different train that's going in a different way. We we step out of something, friends, and into something else. You understand? Uh, this week, I had the privilege of hosting uh, uh, some Turkish friends of mine, a Turkish pastor and his family, uh, in our home for the week. And um, as he told his story, so he's from a Muslim background, and he said when he came to faith, his granddad said to him, "Okay, well, you need to choose." If you're going to follow Jesus, then you leave this home and you leave this family. And he said, within a 30-second window, he, he was like, yeah, well, I'm following Jesus. And he didn't understand the cost of it, but he was thrown out of home. He was estranged from his family. And he went and slept on the sofa of his youth leader in the church. And he said, now, as a church... In Turkey, he said, we do the same thing now. You know, if someone comes to faith, we make our floors and our sofas available because we know they're going to step out of one family and into a new family. And that's what we're talking about here. You step into the grace of God. It's a completely different thing that we step into. And also, we get different horizons and possibilities. And we see that for Titus geographically, but it's also true morally. So things that we may never have thought were possible for us in terms of where we came from, become possible for us in the grace of Jesus Christ. We might have thought, you know, I've, we've, my family have always been in debt. My parents were in debt. My grandparents were in debt. We've always had the shadow of debt hanging over us. Well, the grace of God makes something different possible for you and for your family and future generations. You may go, we've always... Had generation upon generation of addiction in our family or violence or whatever it is. And you think that, you know, Sarah was saying earlier, the blood of Jesus, it breaks other bloodlines. Yeah. It makes different things possible for you. My granddad, uh, we don't know the whole story, but he grew up in the workhouse um, in an orphanage. Um, his family, as far as we know, were alive but they couldn't look after him they were too poor and so they put him in the world he grew up his whole life in an orphanage and when he left there he went and lodged with a Christian lady who led him to the Lord and from there his story and then my parents story and then our story and then my kids story has been completely transformed and so the grace of God it it can smash into your hopeless story And have an impact through generations. Do you understand? It makes things possible that weren't possible. Um, And then thirdly, it it gives us a different prospect. So it gives us something to live for, a goal for our lives that is different. So we're told here that that while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of Jesus Christ. And so it, it says kind of... We're going to live in this way while we're waiting for the appearing. So it's like it's saying the important thing really that we're doing now is waiting for the appearing of Jesus Christ. And while we wait, we'll do a little bit of living. <laughs> but what we're doing now is we're, we're looking forward to something that wasn't on our horizon before. Um, so grace takes us from fearing the end, from life becoming narrower and narrower and more and more limited, as we move towards the death of our bodies, it takes us from fearing the end to actually we're we're looking forward to the end. And our lives are getting wider and wider and more and more exciting as we get closer to the glorious... I can see a few of our older brothers and sisters smiling, right? Which is right! Which is right for believers in Jesus. I was talking to my friend Dave yesterday. He said he went to a funeral last week where the celebrant of the funeral was an atheist and said at the front of the funeral, we cannot know what happens to us after death. And my friend Dave said, I, I didn't realize it but I jumped up and put my hands up <laughs> and then he was like, oh, this is a funeral. And he sat down and he was like, no, I object. <laughs> we do know what happens. There's a glorious appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ and we're waiting for him. And he's going to come and judge the living and the dead. And for us that's good news. That's It's exciting news because we're in the grace of God. I am excited to be judged by Jesus. Because he has proved himself true to his word, full of grace and mercy. He loves me. He knows my story. And he's going to judge me. Not just by the things I did, but my motives, what I was trying to do. What I was trying to achieve with my life. He's going to judge me and that's good news for us. And so we're excited for Jesus to come back. We're excited to enter with him into eternal life. We're excited to to see what happens after death and resurrection. Because Jesus is coming back in his glorious appearing. And that's what we live for now. And then it says, and while we wait, because we're looking forward to that, grace teaches us to say no to all the pesky little things like sin. Yeah? Yeah? How does this work? Well, we're living for someone else. Uh, I went to a Chelsea Fulham match this week, and um, on the way into the stadium, all the Fulham fans are singing, "We hate Chelsea," and all the Chelsea fans are singing, "We don't care about Fulham because we're not threatened by you." Right? In other words, eh? So what? Sorry if you're a Fulham fan. No mean to offend you. Um, but actually, that's that's kind of what this passage is telling us. It's saying, guys, we're brought into the grace of God. We're looking forward to the glorious returning of Jesus. What's a little bit of sin? Empty your life out so that it can be filled with so much good stuff. You know, I've got the, my life is like a, it's like a container. And it could be filled of lots of rubbish world stuff, right? Or it could be filled to the measure with the glorious fullness of God through the Holy Spirit. It's like, come on, it's a, a no brainer. Dump that stuff out of your life and be filled with Him. That's the message, friends, of the grace of God. It's not this heavy, oh, I shouldn't do this and I shouldn't do that, and here's a list of things I shouldn't do. It's like, come on, look what you could be living for. Look what you could be drinking. Look what you could be flooded with. And get rid of a few pesky little rubbish habits in your life. Do you understand? There's, it gives us a whole different perspective here. Oh, the grace of God, it steps us into a story where there's a whole different perspective. Cristiano Ronaldo was playing for Manchester United, and then he goes and he plays for some Saudi team, right, in Saudi Arabia. If his old manager from Manchester United phones him up and says, Cristiano, I need you to do this, and I need you to do that, he's actually going to go, No. I don't work for you anymore. I've been transferred from the kingdom of Manchester United to the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. And in the same way, friends, when your old addictions, your old habits, your old life, your old thought patterns call you up and say, Oh, you should be doing this, you should be feeling like this, you can go, Who are you? I've been transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the glorious Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. What have I got to you with you anymore? Goodbye, darkness. Hang up the phone. Hallelujah. We're not under that authority anymore. We've been transferred into a completely different space. I could see a Man United fan nodding away there. <laughs> <laughs> and so, friends, stepping into the grace of God opens up to us something that is so much more wonderful, so much bigger. That, that's what, when it says the grace of God has appeared... That's what it's talking about. It's not saying, I got a little bit of grace into my soul. It's saying, history has changed. The, the, grace, the history was going like this, and the, and the train was going to go over the cliff, and it was all heading towards darkness. But then suddenly, the grace of God appeared. And we can be rescued out of that and we can live in a completely different space now for a different purpose, with different energy, with different passions and longings and desires. The grace of God rescues us, puts us on a different track, gives us a different family, a a wider set of perspectives and something else to live for. Amen? Amen? And then wonderfully this passage hones in on Jesus and who he is and how he fits into this grace Story and it says, This our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for Himself a people that are His very own, eager to do what is good. And the first thing to notice here is, Jesus does everything in this verse. We don't purify ourselves, He's purifying us, we don't make a people, He's making a people. We don't redeem. He redeems. It's all Jesus, right? And we read here that he gave himself for us to redeem us. And this is the tenderest bit. This is the, be- this is the bit where the violins play. This is the, like the wonderful moment in this passage. He took flesh so that he could give himself for us, so that flesh that he took could be abused and beaten and scarred. You know, he created skin. The word became flesh. He created skin so the skin could be pierced and could bleed. That was the whole purpose of Christ taking a body and coming. It would be like if your job was a piñata maker. The whole purpose of making a piñata is so that it can be smashed and all the goodness can fall out. You know, that's the whole point of Jesus stepping into our world and taking flesh is so that flesh can be punctured and bruised. You know, the carpenter who's used to working with hammer and nails has nails put through his own hands. He gave himself for us. And this verse tells us that Jesus is God, our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ who gave himself for us. So it tells us that Jesus is God and that God in Christ gave himself for us. God, the unknowable, the creator, the eternal one, in Christ gave himself for us to redeem us. So the great I am... Steps into history, folds himself into a human body, and does not just say, like in Isaiah, um, who shall I send and who will go for us? He's actually the one who also says, here I am, send me. And it says that he did this in order to redeem us. Now, redeem is a word from the world of slavery, from the slave world market and we spoke a little bit about this last week because all the way through this chapter it talks about slavery it said older women should not be slaves to much wine it said that uh, slaves should submit to their masters and here we're told that Jesus has come to redeem us from slavery in Crete this island in the Mediterranean they were familiar with slavery. There were slave ships coming through there all the time. There were slave markets in the harbours, and everybody would be used to seeing the buying and selling of human flesh. And slaves are all about profit. The master is just thinking, what can I get for this product? I mean, it's horrendous, it's disgusting, it's despicable. This was their reality. And if someone offers a price, then they will sell the slave out. And that is called redemption. So if, if I went to the slave market and I saw my cousin there, I would think, I don't want my cousin to be a slave. Let's try and gather as much money as we can and go and give it to the slave master and buy him out. Right? Because all, he, he, all the slave master cares about is the prophet. Now, in this picture, it says that God in Christ... Jesus gave himself to redeem us. So in this picture, we are slaves in the slave market. You can picture it in the harbor cities in Crete. We're slaves there. And Jesus steps forward and he says, that's my family. I don't want them to be slaves. I don't want them to be owned And the price that he gives to set the slaves free is himself. He says, take me and let the slaves go free. So he offers himself as the redemption price. He doesn't pay a redemption price. He he is the redemption price. He offers himself and we go free. And there we were, you and me, in the slave market, owned by our worldly passions and habits, by our old lives. Slavery owns your whole identity. So when our old master used to say, you're a useless person, we used to go, yes, master, I am a useless person. Or when he said, you're a rubbish parent, we would go, yes, I am a rubbish parent, you're right. Or when he said, plunge into despair for weeks on end, we would go, yes, I will plunge into despair. Onward. And so we, we were obedient to the flesh, to Our old patterns of thinking, our old habits and ways of being. We were slaves. Whatever it said, we did it. It said, Watch porn. We were like, Okay, I'll watch porn. I won't resist. When it said, Complain all the time and moan all the time, we were like, Okay, that's what I'll do. We were slaves to sin. The Bible's very realistic about the human condition. You know, humanism says people are fundamentally good and we should be surprised when people do bad stuff. The Bible's like, Don't be surprised. People are slaves to sin. They do bad stuff all the time. But the Bible also says Jesus steps in and offers himself to redeem us from slavery so we can come out of everything. It's not just behavior. It's the shame. It's being owned by thoughts and patterns of thinking that are more powerful than you. And Jesus gives himself to break us out of that, to put us in a completely different space that the Bible calls grace, we can step into a freedom that's completely different, right? New family, new ways of living, new perspectives, new purpose. At the cross, Jesus Christ gave himself to buy us out of that slavery. The powerful for the weak no, the mighty for the abased, and we go free. And then it says, in order to purify for himself a people who are his very own, eager to do what is good. And so we've got, again, we've got this word himself. He gave himself in order to purchase for himself. And so there's, a, there's an ownership, there's a preciousness. Again, it's the divine himself. And we belong to him. We're we're his people. He's really interested in us. He's really invested in the church. He's watching. He's involved. He's helping. He's purifying. He's washing. When we get dirty, he washes us and brings us back in. He's working in us. He's invested. He's excited. Whoa, the church What are they going to be? What are they going to do? And so what I want to say, friends, and and I want to give us an opportunity not just to hear today, but to respond. And the response is for anyone here, whether you've never done this before or whether you've done this hundreds of times before, to step into the grace of God. To remind yourself that you've stepped into the grace of God. To, to turn back to your old life, even if it was a long time ago, and just say again, I don't work for you anymore. You know, when the slaves came out of Egypt and came through the Red Sea and they'd been brought out of slavery, you can imagine, they look back over the water and, and the guy's like, I see my old master there. And he's waving his whip and telling me, oh, come back and you, you belong to me. And he, No, man, I've been brought out. There's a whole... Bit body of water now. You know, goodbye. (laughs) Some of you, that's what you got to do today, right? To those old thoughts, those old ways of thinking, those, ah, but I've always got you. I've always got control. No! Jesus has bought you out. The shackles have been left in the marketplace and broken off, and you're in a completely different space now. The grace of God has appeared. Right? And so what we're going to do I just want to say this, look, you may think, well, I've done this before, but I've gone back again into, you know, into rules, into regulations, into caring what other people think, into my old shame. I think the whole point of the door which is grace is that it is always open and it's never closed. And the door which is grace does not judge you. And say, oh, I've seen you before. Yeah, you're stepping through today, but on Monday you'll be back to whatever it was. You, you step through. It's like, a, it's like a car wash, right? You step in, and it cleanses you. It washes you. It's what it says. He is purifying for himself. And on the other side of that door, there's just remembering again, I belong to him. The energy comes from him. The, the desire comes from him. All I've got to do is empty out this stuff. He's going to fill it with all kind of good stuff. Right? So should we stand together?